Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on scripture. Thank you for joining me. March 3rd, 1876, in rural Kentucky, it rained bits of meat. To this day, we don't know why. Aztecs, and actually more than a few cultures around the world, mostly in the Southern Hemisphere, once practiced head shrinking as a way of preventing the souls of conquered enemies from growing too large to seek revenge. And did you know that the brains of domesticated cats have steadily shrunken over the past 10,000 years? That explains a lot about the two cats in my household. Well, these oddities and other interesting facts were the purview of a guy named Robert Ripley. Ripley was born in 1890, and by December of 1918, he had published his first cartoon, in the Globe newspaper in New York, featuring interesting feats of sports. His first cartoon had several guys on it, uh, each who accomplished something that was, for that time, kind of amazing. Well, actually, even for this time, kind of amazing. One depicted a man who ran the 100-meter race backward in 14 seconds. One depicted a man broad jumping more than 24 feet on ice skates. And then there's the man from Australia who jumped roped 11,810 times. That's about four hours without stopping. The title of the cartoon, Believe It or Not. You see, Ripley had an eye for the interesting and a gift for storytelling. At first in newspaper cartoons, where he went from his first full book and being published weekly in 17 newspapers in 1929, to worldwide syndication. He then embraced the new technology of radio, and he started telling stories about interesting events in history in 1930. It was a show that continued until his unexpected death, while on the air, believe it or not, in 1949. It was on that radio show that Ripley really hit his stride. He was able to tell stories just in fantastic ways that gripped people, One story he told was about Teddy Roosevelt. The presidential candidate was shot in the middle of a speech on October 14, 1912 in Milwaukee by a disgruntled saloon owner. The bullet was slowed by an eyeglass case and a wad of papers folded up in his jacket pocket, presumably the pages of the speech he decided not to use. 
while a wounded Roosevelt finished his speech, all 84 minutes of it, and then was taken to the hospital to have a 32 caliber slug removed from his chest. Pretty amazing stuff. Ripley's heirs and the company that he founded have opened up as many as 30 auditoriums. That's with an O-D-D at the beginning. And one of them is actually relatively nearby to those of us here in the Great Plains, in Branson, Missouri. But where I became acquainted with Ripley's Believe It or Not was in 1980. I was just a little kid but I remember distinctly the ABC television show that starred Jack Palance. It aired until 1984, and then it got picked up again when Dean Cain, former Superman, had a three or four year run in the early 2000s. But it was that first TV show with Jack Palance that brought the spectacle of those first newspaper cartoons, photos and in some cases video of unique people, to life for me as a kid in the Midwest. I was captivated by the stories, and sometimes I wondered, is this true? Is it not? For example, I remember that television show is what introduced me to Robert Wadlow. He's the world's tallest man. He was recorded at 8 feet 11 inches tall. And there were a lot of other stories, too, about folks who no doubt traveled as sideshow attractions with circuses and such. But that TV show combined images with storytelling like Ripley did on the radio. Well, today there's not really a television show. You still can find the books. Those are interesting. But the website that they have now for Ripley's Believe It or Not is really interesting. It mixes some of the old-time stories that were told by Robert Ripley himself through those television shows to things that we learn that are just kind of interesting today. Just in the last couple of weeks, when I was looking at that website, I found the story of Lars Ulrich. Now, Ulrich's grandfather and great-grandfather had been tennis pros, and Lars wanted to follow in their footsteps. So his family moved him from Denmark to California in 1980 to give him that opportunity. The good news is Lars was a very good tennis player. The bad news is he was not a great tennis player. And so turning pro was not going to be in the cards for him. Well, he learned how to play the guitar. And he learned how to play the drums. And then he started one of the best-known bands from the 1990s. Metallica, that of Enter Sandman fame, and all because he wasn't quite good enough at tennis, believe it or not. The good news is with these stories about Robert Ripley and Ripley's Believe It or Not is that you don't have to be into hard rock to really enjoy them. As a matter of fact, a lot of the stories were just good, wholesome, little surprising tales. For example, I remember the television show had this particular story about Shep the Sheepdog. 
A sheep herder fell ill in 1936 and was taken to a hospital in Fort Benton, Montana. The dog stayed outside the hospital for days until the man died. The man's body was taken to the train and loaded up to be taken back to his family out east, and that dog ran after the train until it couldn't keep up any longer. Such a heartwarming story. Well, that dog turned around and began to keep vigil at the train station, waiting for his owner to return. Now, this isn't a sad story, uh, at least not totally. The people at that station, they adopted the dog. They fed him over the years. They named him Shep, and they kept watch over him, just as he kept watch for his owner. For years, until the dog eventually died. It's interesting tales like that like Shep the Sheepdog and Meat Raining in Kentucky that made that television show interesting for me as a kid. I don't think my parents and I missed hardly any weeks of that television show. And I still remember Jack Palance in that Wild West voice, how he would end each segment with a kind of a quippy ending and then mutter a challenge to the audience. Believe it or not. Well, our scripture lesson has that kind of feel to it, like one of Ripley's tales. It's a true story, but it's one that's difficult to believe for some people. Well, for one person in particular. Let's read together John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks on his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and this time Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happier those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, you will have life in him. It is still the day of that first Easter. We know Jesus is risen. But the disciples, at that time, well, they're still not so sure. 
All they know absolutely for certain is that the body of their Lord and teacher is missing. Remember how the end of the Easter scripture from John ends? The men, Peter and John, well, they go back to the place where Jesus' followers were hiding, probably not quite sure what to think. It was Mary Magdalene who stayed at the tomb and who experienced that first encounter with the risen Savior. Well, in this passage, it's now evening of that same day, and the disciples are concerned still that the Jewish authorities are going to come after them as they had done to Jesus. Those disciples still weren't sure if Mary was right or if she just saw something that she wanted to see in her grief. They probably most emphasized the not in the believe it or not, or at least were probably leaning that way. But that all changes in an instant. As they are sitting and pondering what to do next, Jesus suddenly appears. He shows them the holes in his hands, where the nails had been driven through his flesh. He shows them his side, where a spear was stuck to ensure that he was really dead. And because they saw him with their own eyes, not just his face, but the wounds left by the Romans, they finally believed what he had said about rising from the dead. And then he sends them out into the world by breathing into them the Holy Spirit. In a way, he's passing the baton, sending them into the world for ministry as God had sent him into the world to minister to us. And so finally, after nearly three years of following Jesus, the disciples finally understand the mission. They now can emphasize the believe in the believe it or not. But it's important to note that in that first encounter, not all the disciples were present. In fact, it's one of the original twelve, Thomas, who is not there. And when he gets back, Jesus already has departed. And as his companions tell him this wondrous news, Thomas isn't quite so sure. In fact, he says until he also has seen the nail wounds and the pierced side, he won't believe. And that's how we get the phrase, doubting Thomas. But you see, I would argue that poor Thomas gets a bad rap. After all, his only crime here really is that he just wasn't in the room that first day. The group may have sent him out to purchase food. He might have been out to check a loved one. Maybe he was sent out to gather intelligence. You know, what are the people talking about in the streets? Are people out to get us? Are people searching for us? Regardless, he simply was not present when Jesus was there that first time. And so he isn't quite sure that Jesus has come back from the dead for real. And so we tend to hoist a lot of criticism on poor Thomas. But think about it for just a moment. Isn't he just doing exactly what the other ten remaining disciples did on that first Easter? Didn't they also kind of doubt Mary's story about Jesus being resurrected? Didn't it take Jesus being physically present with them for them finally to believe? Thomas gets the nickname, Doubting Thomas, but he was really no different than any of the others. Why don't we say Doubting Peter, or Doubting John, or Doubting Andrew? Thomas just wasn't there that night, and so we tend to focus on him, when really he was no different than any of his companions. Fast forward to eight days later. 
All of the disciples are in the locked room. And this time Jesus appears again. And this time Thomas is there. Jesus tells Thomas to put his fingers into the holes left by the nails. Jesus tells him to place his hand into Jesus' punctured side. Thomas finally sees, and he finally believes. And then Jesus provides a blessing. Not just for Thomas, but for all of us. What I read earlier was the Common English Bible. The New Revised Standard Version puts it this way, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Most definitely an emphasis on the believe, and the believe it or not right there. You see, you and I, folks living in the 21st century, we haven't physically seen Jesus, at least not very many of us. Sure, there are people who have visions, and I believe most of those, but maybe there are a few people in this world who have had that benefit. I know I haven't, at least not yet. But just because we haven't seen the physical body of Jesus, well, that doesn't mean we haven't seen Jesus. In fact, we've been blessed to see Jesus probably many times in our lives. Think about it for just a moment. A parent who showed unconditional love to us when we did something stupid. A teacher who showed a little extra interest in us when we struggled. A neighbor who gave us a cookie or let us pet their dog when we were younger as a way of brightening our day. A person we encounter with a kind word. A Sunday school teacher who made an impact. A friend. A cousin. A person on the street who commits a random act of kindness. In each one of those instances, we saw Jesus in action at least his hands and feet, as others did the work on his behalf. So my question today is, how are you serving as the hands and feet of Christ? What are you doing each and every day to show Jesus to someone else? To let them see him? Now, it may be something big, like sitting with someone after a loss, but it usually is a lot of little things. It's a compliment. Make that a genuine compliment, by the way. Maybe it's a kind word, giving a few bucks to someone in need, holding the door open for someone when their hands are full, making a phone call to check on someone, sharing a smile, and yes, inviting someone to join you in worship. All of those things are just a very, very few examples of the ways that we can help serve as the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And there are ways that we can help people see the risen Jesus. See, all of those things are the ways that we, average, everyday people doing average, ordinary things, can help others see the risen Christ. Believe it or not. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. 
Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.